welcome to SME TV. Our recent SME association data taken from our members says that over 90% of SMEs feel they're operating in a noisy business marketing world that's crowded with competitors and they're struggling to get cut through. Many claim we've tried everything, but it's hard to know or predict what campaign will work. Fewer than 10% had a competitive marketing strategy. Today, we bring back one of our favorite subject matter experts, Michael Field from Ebbett Field Partners. They are competitive strategy consultants. Michael is going to update us on what his business is doing to help SMEs get to their next level, increase revenue, increase margins and growth. You might say this is how we execute our competitive strategy. Welcome, Michael. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. I appreciate it. Now, I'm, I'm going to jump straight into this because every conversation you and I have had off air about this upcoming interview, we have spent hours talking about marketing, obviously. So yes. what is the point of marketing? Marketing essentially connects brands with customers. Um, it can have all sorts of definitions and there's lots of things that people would argue marketing is or is not. But essentially, marketing is a relationship between a brand uh, and their customers. And the more effort that the brand goes into to make that relationship meaningful and productive, the better the brand um, benefits from the investment that they make in that. So to me, marketing is a relationship and it's a connection between a brand and customers. Are you seeing more and more uh, amongst your clients um, and potential clients that they dismiss marketing or pigeonhole it as, you know, it's, it's advertising, it's Facebook ads, it's print or TV, the most basic form of marketing that you actually can't really track and understand whether it's working or not. Yes, I, I, I think that marketing is still largely misunderstood, particularly in the categories that we're in, which are the B2B and industrial spaces that um, people are very aware of consumer marketing because they're exposed to 3000 plus consumer marketing messages a day. They Make TV programs like Gruen or something like that, and they think well, marketing is simply advertising and TV. So I think it, I think it is largely um, still misunderstood, and I think also that the the real benefits that are available to brands and to companies through the various marketing disciplines in many ways are still largely unrealized. And what occurs is they may trial something; it may it may have actually been flawed from the outset. They, okay, we'll try SEO or we'll try radio or whatever it is. It doesn't really matter. They may try something, but if it's fundamentally flawed without the research and without the right marketing mechanics in place, it may fail. And that may then act as confirmation bias that marketing is a waste of time or marketing doesn't work. So it gets reduced to being advertising, um, you know, uh, Christmas parties, um, client hampers and uh, business cards, which is, you know, just a squanderous waste of opportunity. Do you think it's because the client or the business is looking for or tending to stay in lanes that they understand as opposed to saying, look, this is what I want to achieve. Let's find the right expert to get us there. Yeah, that's often the case. Um, they, they often will um, preference uh, channels that they're familiar with and, and comfortable with or that they understand and they'll avoid ones that they don't understand. The other, I think, weakness in the way that marketing professionals are engaged is that 
the driver is often the revenue driver. So it's driven by sales. And sales may be looking at a much more short-term horizon in terms of what performance is required, whereas marketing, particularly in B2B, is managing a much um, longer sales cycle. So many of our clients, for example, the sales cycle for building and construction might be over many years and there's different people involved in that buying process and there's different timeframes that need to be managed. In B2B, traditionally, four to 5% of your customer base are actually ready to buy in that buying period, in that month or quarter, and 95% of them are not. They're not yet in that buying stage. So the high demand that comes from sales to immediately generate leads gets foisted onto marketing. And then if marketing doesn't deliver that, marketing is often seen as a failure. A failure. So one thing that um, I love to quote from you, business to business marketing is not a dark art. Just because I don't understand (laughs) it doesn't mean it's hocus pocus. So... Okay, if if we say it's not a dark art and we say that there's systems and processes and a methodology that you need to follow, if we say that, uh, and then I quote you again, an evidence-based scalable model will drive four times return on investment at half the industry benchmark cost per reach, massively reducing customer acquisition cost. Yes. So that, yeah, that's so, what we need to be looking at. What what are you putting in and expecting a return on your investment? But the goal is the customer acquisition, right? Yeah, d- done properly um, and um, built on the solid b- uh, basis of evidence. So market research, customer research, competitive research, and then building a predictable marketing engine um, generates those types of results routinely. So I feel um, that maybe unfairly, there's many vendors uh, in the market, in the digital space who want to keep the customer ill-informed about what the mechanics of these things are. Um, They use language that the customer doesn't understand. It all sounds very um, efficient and effective. We're going to do SEO. We're going to do this. We're going to do these these sorts of things. The customer buys and believes that, and they do just see it as a dark art. They They don't really understand what the um, what the digital people are doing, but they give them money and trust them to do it. And when it doesn't fail, they blame the digital ecosystem or they blame the channel rather than the vendor who provided them what I think is an incomplete service. In, in my mind, marketing is an engine. It's an engine that needs to be uh, properly planned and engineered, and it needs to be given the right fuel and given the right treatment for it to be effective. Um, and the reality is that it takes a lot of time and discipline to build that engine. It's not something, it's not a, just a flick a switch and turn on Google ads. It's a, it's a concerted effort by the business to align their marketing and communications with customer needs. And that takes research, that takes some humility, that takes um, some hard medicine too, when you find out that maybe your product does require some changes or improvement or your customer experience needs some changes and improvement. Um, and the businesses that are doing incredibly well, that that are getting historically high growth rates over the last several years, are the ones who have committed to seeing it as a discipline, investing in the methodology and the toolkit to to make it uh, deliver the outcomes that it's capable of delivering. But it's you it's talk, not for the faint-hearted. You talk a lot about early intelligence. Yes. Right. You you call it early intelligence. I 
go through a similar process when I'm going to interview someone, which is to talk to them for a long time to really find out what they want to get mm. out of an interview or what their message is. Yes. So, you know, we might both be detectives in our own rights there, but that, yes. that is the whole point of what you do, isn't it? It's the foundation and the infrastructure early on, the early intelligence of sitting down with a client to understand the process of what they do or make or how they sell it, etc., to then build the blocks and use what you call sophisticated tools. Yeah, we we talking about what you've mentioned there is that uh, particularly in B2B, unlike consumer where an individual customer can make a decision when they walk into a service station to buy a Kit Kat at the counter, in B2B sales, there's a large group of people who influence that buying decision. So if that's in building and construction or mining or agriculture, um, the our client, the, the customer who's got a product that they'd like to sell might have a relationship with procurement or with a maintenance manager or somebody who they feel might be making the buying decision. But that decision needs to get ratified and verified by sometimes up to a dozen or 20 other people inside the business. So the first piece of market intelligence is actually understanding that invisible buying committee. Who, who are the people inside that business who can either make the buying decision or influence the buying decision? what are the key requirements that must be met for them to prefer your product? Not what you think is good about your product or what you like about your product, but each of those people. So if you look at building and construction, which we talk about a lot, yeah. um, there's an architect, there's a specifier, there's a designer, there's the builder, there's the project manager, there's the tradie or installer, there's the building owner. There's so many people who have got a view as to what products get um, um specified and actually um, built into that project. So the first um, set of intelligence is understanding the invisible buying committee, who are the key players, what is their role, what are their key buying criteria, and how well do we as a company stack up with our delivery against that criteria? So that's you, that's the first you talk set. About, you talk about the builder DNA tree as an example of, because it's sometimes easier for people to understand the breadth of yes. what this invisible buying committee is and, yes. and how it ends up there. You know, you talk about starting with the architect and then the person that actually turns the key in the door yes. and walks into the house that's been built or whatever it is and, and how many people along the way are going to influence the door handle that's actually used, the toilet that's put in, the carpet exactly. that's chosen, that end yes. there. And that, and that could take six months for those people to go through that entire process. Yeah, absolutely. And the larger the project and the more sophisticated the industry, so mining, oil and gas, um, you know, um, civil engineering, these types of things, these are many years in the planning. And the reality in that circumstance is that the actual buying decision isn't a singular buying decision. It's not just one person saying, yes, well, we, we like your product. It that that decision needs to be defended across that entire buying journey because that may get all the way down to the installer who looks at that and thinks well I can actually make better margin on this job if I swap out product A for product B so it's referred to as value engineering but to uh, to our client that's a that's a deal loss they've lost that deal if somewhere along that process a project manager a builder an installer um, or a subcontractor decides to swap a product out for a cheaper one. So 
you know, going to your earlier question of what is marketing, it's a relationship mm-hmm. between a brand and the customer. That's that's every single person in that invisible buying committee and making sure that that relationship is durable for the entire duration of that buying cycle, which can be many years. So identifying them, unpacking the buying process and identifying the people that are part of the invisible buying committee that you um, reference a lot and who yes. influences the buying decision. So identifying yes. them too. So eventually mm. like who's, who's going to sign the check, you know, they're important, right? Yes. So I, identifying all of those people, what about identifying who torpedoes the deal? Yeah, that's, that's one of my favorite things to uh, examine is that uh, very often in, um, we were having a chat about this the other day, you know, um, the sales autopsy or the postmortem, whichever way you want to look I at it. I love that. Um, I love that, the sales autopsy. Yeah, that, you know, um, sales teams meet and they review deals won and lost. And very often when they review the deals that they've lost, they will claim that it's price. Well, the other competitor dropped their price or whatever it may be. So it's a very, it's the first line of defense for a sales team. And there is no criticism in this. It's just a very common first line of defense for a sales team to say we were, um, we were undercut on price. Um, We have conducted hundreds and hundreds of customer interviews with procurement and purchasing managers and all of the people you've, you know, we've spoken about in the invisible buying committee and price really only factors in about 30% of the time. The other 70% of the time when a vendor was not selected, it is based on other key criteria that that business has. Now I'm talking about sophisticated corporate buying as opposed to consumer buying. But for example, environmental impact, um, there's a whole range of other factors that are that are key. Uh, and often we find it's one of those torpedoes which have um, which have um, denied um, a client the opportunity to win the deal because they the maintenance manager was saying, yeah, it's all great, we love it, or the um, the ops manager or whoever it might be might have been all on board for uh, product A from vendor A. And then it gets up into the uh, internal mechanisms of the building and somebody who's working in a different division with a different lens, like I say, it might be around um, uh, employment or environmental diversity. People make decisions for all sorts of things. And if it doesn't tick those other boxes, they may not want to buy or be associated with a product or service that doesn't also meet the values of the business that's yeah. going to use it. We, we ha- we're influenced by different things now, in, in particular the Invisible Buying Committee who, as you said, they're looking at it with a different lens. Someone, you know, the, the CFO might say, well, we're saving a lot of money if we use this product, but then the people, people in culture or HR yes. will say, well, no, we don't want to buy from them or use that product because it's not environmentally sustainable or it's not made locally because often, you know, businesses want to support local products, et cetera. We'll pay a little bit more if it gives us that ESG tick or something like that. Yeah, it's it's not only that, it's the larger the company and particularly if they're listed or if, if they have scrutiny from some other um, uh, part of the market, be that regulators or be that activists, um, if they as a company make a series of, of claims in their corporate social responsibility or employee value proposition statements, they make those p- claims publicly, then they are obligated to do a review of their vendors to ensure that the people that they buy from and support are aligned with the claims that they make. Uh, otherwise, they expose themselves to horrendous PR if they make 
claims that you know that they're um, you know environmentally sustainable or whatever it is, but they're buying from vendors who simply don't have those claims. So quite often, um, unless the vendor can substantiate the claims that they're making and make that proof point and make it known to yep. that influencer, they'll still lose the deal. They might actually have the capability, they just haven't communicated it well. Now let's talk about Everfield and HubSpot. Sure. You use HubSpot and the sophisticated tools within HubSpot, um, and that's part of your methodology. Let's talk about that. Sure. Uh, we use HubSpot. We've used many different um, tools and systems over the years to uh, manage customer engagement. Um, many years ago, we became we came on board with with HubSpot, and we're a HubSpot partner. The reason we've selected HubSpot is because it has incredible capacity to assist us in managing those customer relationships on a on an individual basis, but also at scale. Um, we've found that it's just been an incredible. Um, opportunity for us to build um, content environments for each customer group where the customer can go on a choose your own adventure content journey and really inform themselves and educate themselves about the things that are relevant to them and not uh, clutter their environment with things that are not relevant. And by comparison, most businesses say all things to all people all of the time. And they hope that some of it sticks. What yeah. we do is we match our messaging really clearly to that buyer and exactly where they are in, in that buyer journey. They might just be in the research stage. They may not yet be ready for purchase. So we customize the content to the individual and where what stage they're at in the buying journey. And our delivery platform is HubSpot. So it's it's also um, de designing and executing a sophisticated customer engagement strategy, right? So you're implementing the content for the very yes. early beginning to connect with the customer um, to make sure that they have a winning strategy because that's what it's all about, right? They want to win. Yeah, they, and winning they, they winning want means to own. Yep, yeah, revenue mar margin and market. yeah, they they want to. Sorry, after you. <laughs> Sorry. No, no. You're the expert. Yeah. They, they, they want to own market share and mind share in the customer's mind. Um, and, you know, in a hugely contested market where it's super hard to differentiate your product, um, the most effective way that we've found to do that is to create um, online environments, um, walled gardens, digital malls, whatever you like to call it, where all of the content has been highly customized just for that person. Um, and what we've found is effective about that is that we can micro-target those people through sophisticated digital marketing, so not have to worry about the contest of the algorithm on the platform, but micro-target that person based on their job title, geography, industry, company size, and then invite them through that channel to a walled garden of content where they can consume content at their leisure and educate themselves uh, positively about our client's brand. And one of the great things about that is that this is entirely invisible to their competitors. That it's, it, it's not about building out all this content on the website. It's actually building it in the HubSpot ecosystem away from the scrutiny of competitors in the main market and really just custom inviting people using digital tools to get the right qualified customer in that content environment. Because this is what I find, um, and, you know, just to, we have run out of time and I just want to wrap this up, but the beauty of this is that this sophisticated customer engagement strategy and the tools that you use 
they can achieve this below the radar. So your competitor won't even know what's going on until you've already done it, till you've already got that market share, till you've already nabbed um, that particular customer, that your engagement strategy is working, your margins are good, you're generating revenue, and the other mob is sitting in their sales autopsy boardroom saying, how did this happen? <laughs> That's right. We, we very often note that our competitors really, or our clients' competitors, don't even start to notice properly for many, many months. And it's 12 months really before they even start to wrap their head around what is occurring. And for them to build at scale the level of sophistication that we're created for our client, most of them don't have the will. So our clients typically grow at materially faster rates than the market and than their competitors, and they massively grow market share in relatively sh short periods of time. Then I'm talking over several years of, of, of hard effort. So yeah, you're, you're right. The competitors are usually left wondering. And on that note, thanks very much for joining us today, Michael. Um, all I've got to say is that if you want a sophisticated customer engagement strategy, you know where you should go. Thanks. I appreciate it. To everyone out there, thank you very much for joining us today. A big shout out to the SMEA Association. If you have any questions, comments or tips or stories, you can send them straight to me, news at smea.org.au, and we'll see you all next time. Thank you. <laughs>